This show is part of the Pika Science Podcast, studying the intersection of video games and science. You've journeyed long and far to this distant world in search of lost knowledge. You found the temple, but search for a missing tome. Quick, roll an investigation check. 18. Impressive. You search a few rooms, and there it is, hidden in a compartment behind a throne. You open the tome and begin looking at the magical script. Roll an arcana check. Natural 20, success. Now it's time to unlock all the knowledge of... Ben Richton's Guide to Monsters and Lore. Welcome, one and all, back to another episode of Ben Richten's Guide to Monsters and Lore. I am Ben. Who am I talking to today? Who are you? (laughs) It's the best timing ever. Who am I? Who am I? Who are you? Do you know who you are? (laughs) Uh, I'm Madison. I'm, I'm... I'm living my best right now, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> living my best life. I'm Ben. I'm very excited for the holidays. I'm very ready to take a break from like my work life. I'm gonna be so honest. Yeah. 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 We need a we need a little holiday break up in here. Well, what are you gonna do over the holidays? What am I besides do listen the to all the great episodes on the Pika Science podcast? Which I'm sure all of you, our listeners, are doing. <laughs> I'm planning to eat a ton for. Personally, I love, you know, a little holiday cookie, a little hot chocolate. I'm ready to consume. Okay. Have you not made cookies yet? No, I did, but only like two batches. Really pretty minimal. I need some more. Uh, Actually, the other night, uh, because my life is insane right now, actually Lila made uh, two batches of cookies uh, pretty much on her own. Okay, nice. I was kind of impressed. I was like, oh, okay, cool. I mean, it was a mix, but you had to add the eggs and, you know, the butter and beat it and still had to roll it and, you know, cut it into shapes and stuff. Yeah, it was still work. It's involved, right? For a 10-year-old? Yeah. All right. Well. Bags of gingerbread cookies. (laughs) Oh, okay. I love gingerbread. Oh, no, I do too. We we do too. I had to have Kevin hide them because I will eat them all. Mm -hmm. It is one of my weaknesses is is like cookies and Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Cookies and Christmas. (laughs) Yeah, I spend too much and eat too many cookies. Mm-hmm. 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 Guilty, guilty. Just, just one more gift. Just one more. It's just, it's just one more, or a dozen more. You know, whatever. I only ask for two things, but like everyone else gets spoiled. And we are spoiling our listeners today. Yes, we are. A special episode. Guess. Um, well, normally how we do things in the Monsters and Lore episode series is we look at some real life mythologies behind our favorite monsters from D&D. We usually focus on one particular geographical region of the world. However, this episode, we're deviating from that a little bit. We're doing something a little different. Uh, we're doing well, we're a still special... talking about one one thing though, right? Yeah, we're doing a special deep dive today on one thing I consider it, you know, relatively holiday inspired <laughs> to a point. Uh, and we are doing a super deep dive onto elves today. 
I mean, I thought it was a good idea when I suggested it. I think it's wonderful. I think, I it's think so a lot of people associate elves with this time of year, and I think it's a great, uh, it's a great chance for us to, I don't know, really get to talk about like where these ideas come from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, because some of these things, you know, why are elves even associated with Christmas? Uh, I didn't know until I put this script together. Like, I think these are things we take for granted. Yeah. Oh no, for sure. And this will be, yeah, this will be interesting because normally we do, you know, monster, the category of monster Um, and elves are unique because they're also a playable character race. So, and they're in the monster manual. So they're kind of doing double duty Uh, and we have plenty of lore to dive into about that. Yeah, there is a lot to talk about. (laughs) Mm -hmm. A lot, a lot. I hope y'all get something out of this. I hope you learn something new. I think they will. I think so. So let's start here. Uh, give us the 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 most cliff note and yet thorough <laughs> description. <laughs> truly, truly, that's what we're working with. So yeah, <laughs> let's get into it. Yeah, what are elves and where did they come from? So I will the say North the Pole. general. Yeah, honestly, it's pretty close to the North Pole. <laughs> If we're talking geographical, (laughs) let me just note, you know, general origin story of elves is not really different than the origin story of any other monster we've covered. You know, they come out of old literary imagination and poetic imagination. They're tied to aspects of religion. They are dealing with folklore, culture, you know, the possible existence of beings other than human or more than human is a pretty universal cultural thing. So they're not really different than any other monsters in that aspect. Geographically, putting ourselves in the world, we're still going to do that. Uh, Elves are considered a type of supernatural humanoid being from Germanic folklore, especially North Germanic or what we would consider Norse. Uh, I do want to point out that the word Germanic does not automatically equal German. We're more so talking about the Nordic countries, uh, Norway, Finland, Iceland, but we're not not talking about germany either germanic is mostly a linguistic group not necessarily a geographic group so the germanic form of languages is where elves come from you know i mentioned literary imagination earlier elves are mentioned in the icelandic poetic edda and prose edda which are analogous to some of the other collections of epic poetry from other countries i mentioned a little different they're not really epic poems but similar collections of old ancient literature And what I find interesting, beliefs about elves flourished in Germanic areas in both pre-Christian and post-Christianization of Europe. So we kind of have to understand elves as like a pretty integral part of Christian folklore, not just like a pagan mythology. And in fact, all of our surviving sources of elves in literature were produced by Christian authors, which I would not really expect because we don't think of elves as like a religious or Christian figure. Well, I mean, some of it, but also like we also have connections to, you know, various variety of other old mythologies, too. I mean, because like, just to clarify, because I know we both did our own homework here. It's not like a lot of the elven stories haven't come from all across different parts of Europe, too, where we have all sorts of different connections and ties. I mean, even some of the some of the connections here with like uh, Norse and mythos as well. I think it's 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 like a combination for sure. And it's definitely a a good uh, a good example of how evolution cultural evolution 
actually changes and uh, modifies, you know, beliefs and ideas and customs of any particular concept. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, that's my that's thought. That's absolutely true. No, that's really true. What I love about the like idea or concept of elves in culture is that across the different um, cultural like renditions of them, they do still retain several different themes across all of these different iterations. Um, so most of the time, elves are given human or human-like form. They are often believed to live alongside normal humans without necessarily being noticed so you wouldn't really know if an elf was in a crowd with you elves are also usually considered ambivalent to humans so they can help or hurt you in equal measure depends on their motivations Uh, in the medieval era of europe their belief was that elves were to blame for illness in humans or they thought that elves posed sexual threats that they were going to steal your wives or husbands uh, i mean have you seen legolas (laughs) see that's what i'm saying (laughs) <laughs> and I will just throw this out there. Current, you know, modern day conception of elves, they make them sexy, like all the time. <laughs> so that's definitely carried over into our culture. Um, and this is funny to me because later on in Christian theology, elves were associated with demons. And so I believe that like threat of illness or threat of sexual misconduct uh, is definitely related to like demon energy. Well, don't you know that if you have sex, you will die? <laughs> Don't have sex or you'll get pregnant and die. (laughs) (laughs) And apparently an elf will be to blame. I don't know. I mean, I couldn't help it. Legolas. (laughs) I'm not gonna lie. Evangeline Lily. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad this is a podcast so we can't show any fan art. I'm just saying. (laughs) 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 We will be avoiding that. Fan art of Madison with Evangeline and Lily. That's for our uh, Patreons only. (laughs) It's on my birthday list. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Anyways. uh, (laughs) Anyways. As we do this episode and my voice hurts like hell. (laughs) (laughs) Yay, recording three episodes while being sick. (laughs) It's been a day. You know what? Blame it on an elf. Whatever illness you have, blame it on an elf. (laughs) it's an elf's fault it's an elf's fault well you know this is funny because you know a general cultural belief in supernatural humanoid beings that appear as humans like i said it's pretty universal so it is kind of hard to make a exact list of what constitutes an elf um and like madison just said this cultural evolution of an elf it does have similar themes that show up but they're also super different iterations of elves from each other so that's where we get the human-like elf that's related to actually the norse gods so magical powerful beautiful but then we also have like the fairy type elf things that you might associate more with a modern word fairy more so than elf you know little winged creatures think tinkerbell and then we also have changelings you know that's the idea when human children are kidnapped and then replaced by another humanoid or elf being um which is usually more sickly and more i don't know demonic i guess and then we have speaking of changelings Mm -hmm. i have to interrupt because i actually again i listened to stuff too and when i heard the changeling story i was like "Ooh, i need to mention this so uh I don't remember. Did I spoil the entire plot of the current Flaming Dice campaign last week, last Ooh, month? 
I don't think you've spoiled all of it. I think you like alluded to some things. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, my next campaign is is all about uh, doppelgangers and changelings. I don't think I don't know if you mentioned that actually. Yeah. So that's the one I want to run next. That's the one I want to do next. Oh, okay. Because there's a there's an anime. Uh, it's a weird anime called Summertime Rendering. Great anime. Uh, <laughs> Kevin and I watched it and consumed it pretty heavily last spring. Uh, and the entire show is about uh, doppelgangers and like having like how do you fight a doppelganger? You don't know who's who. That makes it real tricky. It is, and then they add time travel. So because it's anime, you got to make it even weirder. Yeah, yeah, obviously. <laughs> doppelganger show. It's a mystery. Cool, fallen, fallen, fallen. Now we're gonna add time travel. Oh. Okay, okay. Okay. <laughs> let me get out my notebook. Let me <laughs> let me write down a timeline. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> amazing so yeah you know we were saying you know elves show up in all different sorts of ways um there's not exactly one primary elf that is the universal standard uh however today elves do live on in modern nordic tradition kind of similar to that like original idea of them being connected to the norse gods you know very humanoid um tall they're not these little fairy creatures um so ancient norse mythology refers to these creatures as the alfar i am definitely pronouncing that wrong but like the english translation would be hidden folk i'm not going to try to pronounce it in the norse language um but y'all who speak norse you would know this so the hidden folk and more or less there is a persistent belief like a even today that a human-like race of beings lives parallel to humans unseen definitely real uh they did a study on the citizens of iceland and the majority of iceland's inhabitants do believe that the existence of elves is possible or even probable they consider them to live in i think what i would call liminal spaces the scholar they interviewed said that it would be like they live between the floors of an apartment so the part that an elevator goes through you know between the fifth and sixth floor like that's where the elves live do do you remember a few years ago the um president of Mexico tweeted a picture of what he thought was an elf? Okay, no, wait, I did not know this. Yeah, it was it was a bit back. Um, but like yeah, it was like glowing red eyes. So it was uh sorry, I said a couple of years ago. I bet a couple of months ago. Wait, this was like this year? Yeah, it was February. What? <laughs> T- okay, time's I weird need to see right this. now. Time is weird. Wait, no, this is so funny. It shows up on like Google's um, automatic fill. Like if you look at Mexican president, elf is one of the (laughs) next words. So yeah, it's one of those things that uh, people definitely believe in and definitely have, uh, you know, their ideas surrounding. So, you know, while we are going to talk about the customs, beliefs, mythos, stories, and legends, uh, we do want to point out that as this is a still modern belief system it isn't you know sorry we want to point out as this is still a modern and current belief that it is not our intent to diminish criticize poke fun or any way invalidate people's beliefs our our job as the two of us here particularly wanted to do this show because we're both of the social sciences background uh yours being obviously culture and mine being perception and and you know how lo- how learning works so for me like the idea of how do people come up with ideas and concepts has always been the thing that fascinates me how do they form how do they develop i guess like meta meta's meta's the thing that interests me 
Mm-hmm. No, and that's kind of what we're doing is a meta-analysis of D&D yeah. monsters. It's pretty cool. Yeah. But pretty cool. No, but yeah. like human, human culture too, obviously. Like the way we think and process influences our beliefs and our values and what we think is possible or not possible. Mm-hmm. And so, it's lovely. Yeah. yeah. The Wikipedia page for elves, actually, they kind of say exactly that. They're like, we don't want to diminish this. Like, this is a real belief that people have, and we should treat it as we treat any other belief, which I thought was very pleasant. Yeah, no, for sure. And that's something you and I have talked heavily about, that with this show, we want to make sure we don't make anyone feel like they are marginalized or patronized in any way, shape, or form, because you know, all peoples should feel valid in their beliefs and values, except for those. I was about to say, (laughs) except for those who support Matt Gates. I'm going to do the Matt Gates jokes again. In all of all what that constitutes. Comes back to Matt Gates. Yeah. Always. What a weirdo. Uh (laughs) (laughs) You said pedophile wrong. Oh, what? What? Huh? (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. That's coming. My understanding is that's coming up in, in, in one of the investigative, investigatory committees in the house that's coming oh excellent another holiday gift as far as i'm concerned george santos the gift that keeps on giving i love him um (laughs) what what an interesting person anyways (laughs) well yeah as far as gifts you know and as far as the festive association elves love to give gifts yes so this is what i'm going to talk about Why are they related to Christmas? Because everything I've said up to this point, you know, these tall, beautiful Norse god-like people, that doesn't sound like Christmas at all. Well, well, so how did this happen? Right? Like different cultures have different views of elves, and I did listen to one podcast that was talking about this. That depending on where in the world you were, would determine what you view. See, like I even have a whole note thing on my phone as I was grocery shopping. I was taking notes. Um, Oh, nice. Oh, I probably looked like a crazy person stopping every few seconds to pull out my phone and type up notes on my my phone um but i know that they they do look you know different based upon where the belief comes from uh some are obviously small and short right like and some are human size like icelandic traditions they're human size but in english folklore and even in some uh, germanic folklore they're not necessarily human size they're usually a lot smaller i mean we think of like the shoemaker story you know that's a Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's a story that these are small little beings. But in Icelandic traditions, you know, we think of like Hildur, the elf, the ice queen or the elf queen, sorry, and like she was a looked like a person. No one knew that she was an elf. So there's <clears throat> there's definitely different interpretations based upon where in the world you are and how that belief came, you know, where that belief came from. Mm-hmm. Kind of like how we talked about when we did, we talked about like giants and stuff too. Like the ideas kind of spread and shape and, and change over time, depending on the interactions they have. Yeah. Which is cool. Cause people ad- like adapt these general stories, you know, the idea of a more than human supernatural being, they adapt them to their cultural institutions and they're kind of like, yeah. okay, we also have weird supernatural beings and how are we going to define them? It's so interesting that different cultures like did this across several different uh millennium i guess yeah so it's an old story so what's interesting to me because now i mean elves are particular institution of like capitalistic united states christmas um i would consider the movie elf is now people consider that a holiday classic now it's a i don't remember i hate that movie at this point do you i hate it i genuinely hate that movie (laughs) well they are drawing on 
like what whatever cultural conceptions of elves that that movie's drawing on i that's kind of what like i would rather I watch love actually than that terrible movie oh i mean love actually is cute it if is you treat not it kind of like a it's it's a, not it's kind of a it's a bad movie like every 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 relationship in that movie is incredibly toxic and unhealthy it doesn't make any sense except like, for the kid the 11 year old is the only one who has a healthy relationship everyone else has an unhealthy relationship I'm sorry, listeners, but we are both going to come out as like love actually haters. I'm sorry. No, I own it. I freaking own it. Like if you had asked me two years ago, I'd been like, oh, great. But like, I am not the same person I was two years ago. And I look at it and go, that's unhealthy. Uh Uh-oh. (laughs) Uh-oh. Whether or not love is actually real, pun intended. Uh, (laughs) The story of elves is real. And that came from you know, in the American sense, I suppose, the 19th century. So like we said, the Shoemaker story, that's from 1812. That is a Brothers Grimm classic. There is a poem in 1823, who, or who, which you all might know as the Twas the Night Before Christmas poem. So that's 1823. That names St. Nicholas as a jolly old elf. So that made a direct connection between holiday traditions and rituals and elves uh going forward the author of little women louisa may alcott wrote a story called christmas elves that was never published so people don't really know how much of a like cultural effect it had on this idea of elves and christmas and then in 1857 another poem called the wonders of santa claus was published and that had a line about elves that made toys for santa And then by 1932, so that's, you know, 80 years later or so, Disney made a short film about Santa's workshop full of elves. And so anything after that, the two conceptions were like forever married to each other. I mean, Disney has created so many false conceptions about things. It's not even funny. It's not that entire like that entire uh, myth about lemmings that came from a Disney uh, documentary. And that's literally where I learned that. Yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah. That's (laughs) that's really funny. Yeah. Just yeah, so you so know, can... so you know, lemmings don't actually run off cliffs, guys. That's like a Disney thing, and it was a documentary that they were making, and they they they, they forced them off, right? Like they they scared them off the cliff. And lemmings are actually really good swimmers, so they didn't really care. But then the way Disney filmed it was like, hey, these things are dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, y'all came to hear about elves, and we're actually talking about Disney uh, imperialism, and <laughs> lemming misconduct. <laughs> hey, you know what? I'm a Disney princess. I'm not going to deny it. I mean, the girl I'm dating literally just told me that the other day. Okay, that's love, actually. (laughs) Yeah. When you're dating an NB mask girl and she's like, you're a Disney princess. I'm like, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Thank you. (laughs) I I only own four Rapunzel dresses. I know. (laughs) See, and that's lovely. And I love that. And what I don't love. Rapunzel earrings. I mean. (laughs) So beautiful. (laughs) no i love i love that we can you know disney still retains this magic what i don't love is elf on the shelf not to fully change the subject but that is a weird conception of elves that we have now that's not lovely and it's not magical and i find it very creepy i don't love it but for a different reason because i'm a parent yeah i have to do it (laughs) and like now we're having to step it up this year because my ex-wife thought it'd be funny to do like go beyond and above last year and like the elf brought going well because my ex my ex has unlimited funds because she pays no bills and has her income plus the money i have to give her so it's a it's it's a lot of money coming in and uh her car and student loans are paid off doesn't pay any mortgage like so it's a little bit different she's like oh your elf brought you a gift every single day which is not something i can do every single 
mistake. See, no, the elf on the shelf was a mistake. I will say it. Oh, no, I hate it. Hate I hate it. it. Hate it. See, that's one type of elf. D&D, the real reason we're here, right? The prototype of the D&D elf as the Is that the Icelandic, right? Yeah, so it's this intelligent, superhuman race. They have magic. They have prowess with weapons. They have deep connections to nature. They Definitely live in a different realm. To... Exactly. And like you said, related to this Norse conception of beautiful, tall, humanoid yep. creatures, beings. This is also exactly where Tolkien pulled his conception of elves for his yeah. mythology. And so that's where the creator of D&D pulled this from, Gary Gygax. Gygax. Never going to be able to pronounce his last name. Uh, he pulled that from Tolkien, who pulled it from Norse mythology. Gary has denied this connection, but several different scholars of mythology and folklore and game studies have noted the connection to be true. So, sorry, Gary, we see through your lies. Uh, you definitely pulled this from Tolkien, who pulled oh, it from Norse. I mean, I mean, okay, so the one of the stories I was listening to, I don't know if you heard, saw it or read it, was The um, the Herdsman. Cause it, was about, it was about Hildur, story of Hildur, the Ice Queen, mm, or the Elf Queen. Mm-hmm, I keep saying mm-hmm. Ice Queen. Hildur, the Elf Queen. <laughs> um where she uh she was a housekeeper for a uh for a wealthy farmer and every year right around like right on christmas which is again that connection or it was right around christmas maybe it wasn't christmas in the original story i don't know i'm sure again things change over time and we modify and and, and adapt mm-hmm. things as we go anyways regardless farmer every year the herdsman he hires for the winter dies and goes or dies every year every single year same day Interesting. Whatever herdsman he hired that winter is dead. And so he hires one who's like super confident. He's like, dude, I got this. Don't worry about it. I can handle anything the world's going to throw at me. I have no problem. So the guy, the night before he would die, stays awake all night. And then he hears something sneak into his, like the little cabin he's staying in on the edge of the property. And he notices it's the cleaning woman, Hilder. And like she, so this is where it gets a little, uh, again, this is not a PG podcast. I will remind everyone that we have explicitly said that this is not a PG podcast. Uh, she slips a, a bradle into his mouth. Oh. And like like an S&M style, like, oh yeah, yeah. Not yeah. the cleaning woman. <laughs> uh, and then like his hands are bound and then she rides him. Like, okay, on- so is this supposed to kill him? <laughs> <laughs> well, so it gets better. So then she rides him and he flies with the magic of the bradle to the elf realm. And she leaves him out, like right outside the town. And she goes off. Um, and then he like somehow escapes the bradle. And it turns out he has a magical ring that turns him invisible. Sounding familiar yet? Elf realm, magical ring, turning invisible. Wow. wow. Oh, it gets better. All right. So he wears the ring and it turns out she's the elven queen. And everyone's just like happy to see her. So he follows her to her home and there he finds out while invisible that she is the elfin queen and that her mother-in-law has cursed her to live among the mortals and that she has like, it's like a punishment almost. Uh, and he does, he like steals a little trinket he finds on the ground. Some st- versions of it had to be like a little ring that one of the kids dropped. So anyway, she rides him back and he tells the family the next day. And then, like, she admits, she's like, oh, the curse is broken because you broke the spell and told what was happening that I couldn't tell. But it turns out <clears throat> the mother-in-law cursed her to, like, this internal servitude because she, the mother-in-law didn't like that the king married a poor girl. Is that it? That's the story. <laughs> that was the... Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, 
So then he, the herdsman eventually becomes his own farmer and she grants him like prosperity or something. Amazing. Great story. Great story. Also, yeah, the whole invisible brain. This is interesting. See what we mean about how oh, no. culture it, it, adapts it, it, and moves. It does. And people like, and I, I think that's the thing to talk about is that like so much of mythos is borrowed. It's one of the jokes, uh, one of the girls I was dating this fall, her and I used to joke that like the only truly original ideas we would ever find were like bizarre crap in anime. Yeah. Otherwise, everything just everything feels borrowed. Like we can find a connection to something else. This is true. Everything is connected. So I've been learning like everything is connected, borrowed, recycled. Yeah. Yeah. They make a similar comment in the Kevin Smith film, uh, uh, Chasing Amy. Everything that has been thought up has already been thought up. Everything that can be done has already been done. Yeah. And we just reform it, I guess. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, and now, like we were saying, things get recycled and reformed. Elves now are pretty much a staple in fantasy realms of all different cultural avenues, films, games, you know, you name it, literature, uh, elves, you're going to see them. And it depends on, depends on like what they are to show the root. I mean, not to mention the troublesome and problematic anti-Semitic symbols, homophobic symbols and racist symbols in JK Rowling. But like the, the explicit slavery that everyone in the entire world seems to be okay with, with the exception of Hermione is just like this. And it, it, the way Rawling writes about it you almost feel like she has contentment towards Hermione like how dare you dislike that this is what the norm is <laughs> which is very yeah if when you put it that way it is kind of weird it really is it it really is weird so it it's honestly something that stands out to me that there are such different modern adaptations of it i mean again like we said tolkien verse you know the whole icelandic adaptation but obviously the germanic and english uh you know ideals around it tend to fit more of or even the you know the dutch ideals tend to fit more of like the christmas elf ideas and i think almost like you know what the mexican president's tweet was saying kind of fit more of the dutch ideas too of them being kind of troublesome tricksters So Mm -hmm. it just kind of depends on where in the world and what we're talking about specifically that determines how we view them and what we see they are. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true even in D&D too, like different settings have them set up different ways. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about that. I think that, yeah, that like ambivalent uh, personality, they can be good, bad, evil, helpful. Well, um, that goes back to the early words for it. I was reading about our... Old English, like uh, saily and unsaily, saily meaning good or, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. helpful, and that being the term for like good elves and unsaily, which is not happy or not good, being like the evil elves. But even beyond that, like the Dutch elves, there's all sorts of variety wood elves, the moss elves, the swamp elves, like they all did different things. Mm-hmm. Which is so, yeah, DD really plays on that like um, environmental difference too yeah, with yeah. elves mm-hmm. uh, to a really. Well, not only that, like the the, one of the main uh, elves, Stiff, uh, you know, they play into them being uh, him having like a red cap, which goes into one of the D&D monsters, which is a very elfish looking thing called a red cap. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Lives in the Feywild. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Tricky thing that like hurts people. Fascinating. But I also like was reading too, like depending on what culture we are determines how we see like what what they also did. Like the Germanic ones, you said like replacing babies with changelings. Mm -hmm. But the Dutch ones, you know, like they they were crafters. They built things. I guess they invented starch. Oh, (laughs) great. (laughs) Thank you, elves. (laughs) I 
I mean, I guess that's like a story about it, but again, like that flies into the Dutch cultures, especially around like linens and and merch merchantilism. Um, I mean, remind, remembering that that's like the birthplace of capitalism. Mm-hmm. I thought that mm-hmm. was kind of interesting for sure. Yeah. Oh, that is so cool. I love this. I love love well, how elves like show that, up. In the like world. the word yeah. fae and fairy also means elf, depending on what context you're talking about, too. Mm-hmm. So, like, fae mm-hmm. wild literally is elven wild. Yes, I will just, I honestly probably don't have time to get into all this on this podcast, but if you all want to look up like the etymology and linguistics of the word elf, absolutely fascinating thing. Yeah. Well, because it has such a long history and it's changed so much over time. Mm. It's very cool. So yeah, speaking of like the depth of elven history, um, D&D, as far as I know, elves have always been there since the beginning. So just like in the world, they have been there forever. They're going to live forever. Uh, And actually, elves were one of the first player character races in the first edition in 1974. So they've been around since that first edition. The aquatic elf was the next one to be introduced in 1975. I believe that is now known as the sea elf. Then in the first monster manual in 1977, the subraces of elves included the high elf, gray elf, dark elf, or drow, wood elf, or sylvan, and the aquatic elf again. And then over the next few editions up to 5e, we got the grugach or wild elf, the shadow elf, eladrin, sun elf, moon elf, and a varial or winged elf. I am sure I'm missing some, but there's a lot of them is the point. So what's interesting and I've said this on previous episodes that the and I do 50th like this change, anniversary. I'm not gonna lie, I do like this change a lot. Yeah, the 50th anniversary of D and D's next year. There is going to be a new player handbook coming out, and what is going to change that Madison is inferring is that <laughs> player characters' ability scores are tied more to their background than their race. So that is a very different way of how D and D functions. It's going to be a little a little change up in how you fill out your like ability score sheet and your modifiers. Well, and I honestly, I do love that um, recent books and everything from Tasha's afterwards, any playable, you know, uh, lineage, and they reframed him as lineage, as I thought, too. They uh, did, yeah. Uh, any lineage, you know, can have any ability score anywhere, which, I mean, that kind of makes sense to me. Like, I look at my own kids, and Lila is probably the wisest person I know, but uh, dexterity, not not so much. And... Uh, <laughs> Haley is one of the most dexterous, like, like she's artistic. She's a great climber. She's good at like, you know, getting into things, but you know, like, and she's intelligent, but you know, if you were to ask, you know, her, her, her wisdom and ability to think through her consequences is not always there. <laughs> so, you know, so. again, like, I like, I like the idea that ability scores should be tied to your person and not your I mean, so I have mixed feelings about the background thing again, too. Like, because why can't a sailor, one sailor be strong and one sailor be smart? Because realistically, you would need sailors of all backgrounds on a boat so you don't die. Which is, this is the thing in science fiction that every race that is not human and like on a different planet, like every, every being is exactly the same. Um, Xenophobia? (laughs) I mean, that's what we get out of it. No, it's called. Oh, it's I mean, called, but like, that's what it is, though, because that idea gets applied. I mean, that's the whole idea of the the smart Asian stereotype that you apply a stereotype to an entire group of people, and while it may seem positive, it is still harmful to that group of people because it takes away their ability to be individuals by assuming that everyone in the out group is the same. Yes, it's called the planet of hats trope. I don't know why it's called that, but yes. Yeah, no, I mean, good old xenophobia. Yeah. 
So I think, yeah, D&D is trying to, trying to change that a little bit, which is Which is good. Say. And I know that there's a lot of, uh, you know, cis hat white guys out there getting really angry and like losing their crap about it. But like realistically, which, like, why does every elf have to be brilliant and... And sexy and... <laughs> I mean, Evangeline. Ju- justice for ugly elves. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Will Ferrell. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, have you ever seen the dude's teeth? What do you think that would look like as a, a player character sheet if you like took Will, Will Ferrell's character and made him into Buddy, a D&D character? Yes. It would have like a negative four to wisdom. Oh my gosh. It would have a uh, like a plus three to charisma, plus five to constitution because mm-hmm. the dude just eats like crap. And uh, he's way bigger than all the other elves in his so family. Maybe yeah. his strength would be like plus three or four. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that intelligence is probably at like a negative two, negative one, negative one, not that low. Wisdom is definitely lower than intelligence, so. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Because like he can problem solve. He builds that entire Lego structure. So maybe his intelligence is plus one, maybe. I don't know. But the wisdom is definitely the dumb stat there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Here is, here is y'all, here's a call for y'all to make elves that are like antithes- antithetical to the original conception of Norse elves. You know, ugly, not as wise, not as intelligent. Let's go. I mean, that's just good D&D there, yo. Creativity. Let's yeah, go. be creative, yo. Speaking of creativity, I do think one of the more interesting aspects that elves had in the earlier renditions of D&D. So this is up to edition number three. Elves had spirits and not souls, which is interesting because you can kind of, you could just say outright like elves didn't didn't used to have souls, uh, which makes them sound really weird and crazy. Like cats. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's that connection. Uh, All dogs go to heaven, but not elves or cats. Not elves or cats. Apparently, the distinction here between spirits and souls, and this mattered because a lot of like resurrection spells had to do with souls, so they didn't really affect elves in the same way. Uh, but the distinction there, spirits are eventually reincarnated after death back into the material plane. Uh, souls after death spend eternity in the plane of their chosen. So I, apparently elves... Because they had spirits, they would consistently get reincarnated. However, like I said, this trait was dropped by the third edition of D&D. So I think elves are more closely aligned to like the general soul way. I'm not quite sure, but... They call it soul, but it's still a re- reincarnation cycle. Mm, okay, so, so it's like maybe like the soul, whole thing changed, yeah. Um, but it's a reincarnation cycle. So we'll talk about that when we get to the game part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say another particular trait that D&D leans into is the half-elf race. From an elf perspective, this is the half-human race. So they have a combination of human and elven traits, the personality and body size of human, the pale skin, pointy ears, and generally hairless bodies of elves. And their lifespan is a mixture, so it's longer than a human, but not quite as long as the immortal elves. It is theorized at that point that Tolkien is the first one that made elves immortal, more or less, you know, living for over a thousand years. But I'm not sure that we can prove that. I'm not, you know, I don't know if we have it in writing that Tolkien thought of that on his own. But for the most part, that is how they fall in D&D, that humans live a normal human life. Elves live forever. Half elves live in between that. Uh, Roughly 180 years, I think. And I think... That's interesting to me because it plays into the original 
idea of elves in like real life mythology and culture that they're like infiltrating humans and we don't know their motives and so the idea that there could be a human elf hybrid being i think plays into that very idea of like a little bit of fear a little bit of you know that implies that they can breed with each other so definitely that relates to the real life mythology well and 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 i just want to say like you all just to be clear, do whatever you want to do in your game. No, what? I mean, that wasn't meant to be a joke. Like, you know, as someone who exclusively homebrews the crap out of life, you know, I think uh, however you want to treat it is the way to treat it. I don't know. That's yeah. my thought. True. That's what we just said about creativity. Like, make it work. Yeah. Make it work for you. I would say beyond all of those, the way that elves show up in D&D, the in-game lore of the different race elves are... I guess lineages of elves, they are changing the language. Uh, The lineage lore is incredibly dense and detailed. So we will go into some of it here, um, more specifically on each of the different different Well, and it's all over the place too. It's all over the place, yeah. Um, I gotta say, a lot of it, uh, for a fifth edition at least, came out of um, Mordekainen's Tomb of Foes. Great, uh, great book. Honestly, like for anyone who wanted to run 5e, I always said, obviously, Monster Manual... Dungeon's Master Guide, Player's Handbook, main three. And then I said, the only other ones, like I, I looked at uh, Tasha's and Xanthor's because those are character options, which not only help your players, but also help you because then you have more options. And then I said, uh, the other ones I always looked at was Mordekainen's Tomb of Foes and um, Volo's Guides to Monsters. And really beyond that, I really didn't need a whole lot. I like Fizzbins. I think it was a great book. Ravenloft is okay, but... Beyond those books, I really didn't use them a whole lot. But that's just, you know, me being creative and not wanting to have a restricted campaign setting, which, you know, each their own, each your own. Uh, but anyways, in Mordekane's Tomb of Foes, uh, it goes into really detail about the lore of elves in the Forgotten Realms, one campaign setting. And in this setting, the elves are children of the god uh, Coraline. I think that's how you say that. And the lore falls. Yeah, the lore falls a split between Coraline and Loth. Uh, Coralon is an embodiment of like nature. You know, they take forms of things like a stream or a breeze, school of fish, flock of birds, kind of whatever they're feeling. You know, they would take on all forms as all genders or even genderless sometimes, you know, or some other gen, you know, something else. <laughs> and I guess in the lore, Coralon's freedom as one of the early gods upset the orc god uh, Grumsh. And it said that Coralon, you know, is a god who took out Grumsh's eye, turning him into the one eyed god. So I guess they had like some big battle and it took place across many planes. And at least in the lore, uh, it's Coraline's spilled blood that gave birth to the original elves. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. So in D&D lore, we have the creator gods, which tend to be a unique set that essentially give give creation to the different lineages, a different playable character, different uh, humanoid types. Those then give birth to their own pantheons as well. And I would say this is fascinating because the religious aspects of D&D are just as expansive as real life religious pantheons, religious cosmologies. Um, yeah. The religion aspect of D&D is expansive. It's wild. Um, it's kind of intense at times. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So anyways, uh, I guess the early primal elves were kind of fluid like Corland. They were fey creatures, kind of audacious. They were kind of audacious and... When Corlin noticed them, he created the realm of um, Arvindor, which is like the it's one of the, the holy realms, essentially. From some of these primal elves, he crafted the elven pantheon. And so in the D&D lore, 
loathed as one of those beings, but she did not want to exist to be his to be Coraline's underling. And so Loth formed alliances with other like new gods as like the pantheons of the different worlds were being formed. And she convinced uh, the primal beings to take more of like a static forms, seeing mm-hmm. opportunity in it. And so the new elves kind of saw Coraline as their father god who created all and Loth as the mother who set them on their path, like on, you know, created the destiny. And so many, many of these early elves favored one over the other, which upsets Corlin. So it eventually leads to a conflict between the two and their followers. And Loth uh, left and became a demon lord in the abyss. And Corlin took those elves who sided with him, kept his pantheon, but then cast all the remainder elves into the material plane, you know, the Feywild, the Shadowfell, amongst other planes. And this caused all the elves in D&D lore to have a fixed form. And then the drow were created from the elves who had followed uh, Loth and were kind of um, kind of banished. Mm, yes, which we will get to in a second. Um, more aspects of the drow, yeah. Yeah, well, definitely the correlations here, though, between Christian theology is kind of intense. Like It is like almost a direct... It's, yeah. it's, it's almost <laughs> an exact direct. Cast out of... Uh, cast out of... Um, oh my God, why aren't words coming to me? I'm making the hand motions for heaven. Cast out of Eden, you know, because of, you know, the not, you know, not only the first sin, but like you think of uh, the whole conflict between uh, the the Judea God and, oh my God, why aren't names coming to me? The Judea God and Lucifer. I mean, it's kind of a very similar clash. So to say that Gary Gygax did not take lore directly from existing religions would be uh, a lie <laughs> would be a complete lie i actually think i read that some i don't remember where this came from but that in in real life lore that people said uh elves were one of the races born out of eden like born of yeah. uh, adam and eve yep, yep so that's like a real thing so yeah. but that was a modern take too so and, and it, yeah. it's hard because we don't have, there's not concrete and i was having trouble finding this too concrete there's not a whole lot of concrete with their earlier takes um and this could also be just to be clear to everyone this could be due to purposeful attempt to remove and erase stories lore and customs i believe i believe so from what i get that like the christianization that's all we have is like the Christian author's interpretation of well, because we know that lore, yeah. as the Christ as as Christianity spread, like they did consume other uh, cultures and customs, and you know either right, violence happened. Or... Looking at you, Saint Patrick, crossing mm-hmm. out the snakes it actually means murdering pagans, so that everyone's aware. Yes, Saint Patrick murdered pagans. <laughs> so mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's that there's that whole like, did we erase something? Or do we purposely misplace something? It's it's really hard to tell. Mm-hmm. And elves are no different because some of these, well, especially because yeah. some of this lore is older than two thousand years. So exactly that would predate that religion. Mm-hmm. So it mm-hmm. has to be somewhere. <laughs> it has to be somewhere, right? Exactly. I so well anyways, should know. Yeah. Uh, as a consequence, uh, Coraline's like makes it so that no elves can ever return to their embrace. So when an elf mm-hmm. dies. They go to uh, Avandor, and it's almost like a break. And but they're met by the other gods within the pantheon, uh, known as the uh, Saldarin, Saldrin. But eventually, they get those souls are reborn into a new body. The cycle of reincarnation, baby. 
Yeah. So, and then it says, you know, many, and then, you know, the other thing to note is that many of the elves, is, uh, the, according to these books, you know, they love the Feywild or fairy more than other realms as it's a realm of passion. And it's from the Feywild as they were sent there that then they split, developed cultures and customs and eventually split across, you know, the multiverse and the different realms. Apparently in D&D lore, all the elves feel a connection to the Feywild. It's like their home. So, and I do want to say that I guess the elves carry memories of other their other lives. And this creates pilgrimages for many of them, different types of elves. And I don't know, uh, in campaign two of Critical Role, we actually saw that too. I know Mercer brought that into his lore uh, with the drow specifically, that they all had a reincarnation cycle. But I mean, it talks about like the pilgrimages in Mordecai's book as well, that it's like in something that happens as a rite of passage in adolescence. Uh, and that like the elves will start to re- uh, regain memories during childhood. So like they'll have the memories of their past lives, which must be really confusing and difficult to deal with. Uh, well, yeah, if you said it happens during adolescence, that's already a difficult time. Well, I mean, I think of like Avatar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They regain those memories during that time period. <laughs> hey, you know, you're going through puberty. Here's his memories of this old dude you were. And then also this time you were a really great lady that was a girl boss. Um, Here's other memories of this other dude that you were that died because you were a drunk. Great. Have fun with this. <laughs> great. Go forth. <laughs> Figure it out. <laughs> well, in the show, uh, and I watched it for a friend. It was not something I chose, but she's a great friend. And I said, I love her. And I said, I would do it. Uh, the show Ruby does that too. One of the main characters is essentially like an avatar who is reborn and has to, during adolescence, gets to regain all their memories. <laughs> yeah. My yeah. body's changing. I'm feeling new urges. And here's memories and also... of that time when you ran over someone's dog. <laughs> Uh, also my brain is split across multiple generations cool cool. super cool so hey uh real quick then before we do anything else yes i just want to remind our players that you also can modify your lore however you want and every campaign setting is different and i i do want to go into that um the first game i ran which was a it was a three and a half year game uh it was predominantly based on the forgotten realms i modified a few things because I was, I had, as I told you before, I was doing it for my best friend. And mm-hmm. when we were planning this game, he was very specific with the type of game he wanted, including the plot, and oh, made me take okay. like six pages of notes. Okay. And you were like, all right, we can make it work. Well, and I knew nothing about TNT at the time. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll learn this. Um, yeah, sounds good. All right. But like Aethana, which was the first campaign we did for Flaming Dice, is about two and a half years. It's currently on pause till Brittany is free on Wednesdays again. That whole world is based on evolutionary theory. And in that world, elves and humans are of the same common ancestor. Oh, yeah. see, that's spicy. That's I like interesting. That. Yeah. Everything in that world is based on like evolutionary theory and that things branched off of another. That's See, I find that fascinating. Yeah. Like, to treat it like a evolutionary tree branch. Yeah. I mean, that was the idea. One night I had a bunch of edibles early in my uh, transition and said, <laughs> I came up with this whole idea. It's like, what if there was a world that had magic, multiversal travel, advanced beings, but then also like evolutionary theory was at play. And that's where Aethana was born. Was I said, okay, here's Done. a world. What if this world was like an experiment and like some advanced being was like, I don't know if you remember, there's a South Park episode about um, how Earth is actually just an experiment for aliens, and they watch it as a reality TV show. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, no, but that sounds amazing. (laughs) Which is why all the, which is why there's all these different cultures on Earth, because they- Because they're seeing, like, experiments. Yeah, they pluck them from different parts of the universe, and they're like, gazelles, zebras. (laughs) (laughs) 
Christians, Humans, Jews. Elves, yes. Yeah. No, that's literally the thing. And uh, that was my idea was like, okay, what if this entire planet is an experiment for some advanced being and they wanted to see what would happen if they messed with evolution? And then, like, the idea that because they're an advanced being, they can also open planar gates. Mm-hmm. And so in one part of the world, they were like, hey, what would happen if I brought dragons in? <laughs> what would, what would that do? If I, uh, hmm. if I uh, summoned goblins, what would what would that do? <laughs> hmm. And so it's essentially... Play around, yeah. Yeah, so it became a playground and different parts of that world have different uh, cultures and different uh, lineages. But I took the entire world and mapped it into like evolutionary theory and said, okay, well, this would shift this way over time. This would shift that way. And I literally mapped it, like looking at how uh, populations on Earth changed and shifted. And how people migrated over time and how that influenced what resources were used and stuff like it, it that's what in, went into that entire game which was intense um but the players still have not finished so i'm not gonna I, you know i don't <laughs> so don't spoil anything I, so. <laughs> I mean it's whatever at this point um but like uh one of the players in our she played for about a year and then got and then had a baby so she had to stop which we understand her she was a warlock though and her patron was actually one of the early uh, humans during like the evolutionary phase of when humans and elves were splitting and actually found a way to stay alive and like had then watched the evolutionary cycle happen. Oh, like afterwards. Like, so he like keeps himself in an illusion and they, they, two of them were able to see through the illusion. And I described something that was not human, but not elf. And it was just like, it, it made them feel completely unsettled. Whoa. And so very uncanny was, valley yeah 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 that was the whole idea was that like how would your mind handle seeing this because not half up it's not health not a human but it's it's something yeah. there like oh, if you met i think if you met like australopithecus tomorrow like what are you gonna do <laughs> <laughs> just hang out i don't know have a coffee <laughs> you want a hamburger austro yeah i feel like that's maybe how actual humans would treat seeing an elf in real life yeah no for sure um that's not a human but i don't i don't really know yeah yeah for sure so i mean look at how they treated manatees and all other nature of things right (laughs) humans are not great with uh things we don't understand but like again my point was that like for you guys you don't feel confined to follow any specific rules as i said the current flaming dice campaign is essentially the plot and again if anyone here is if anybody players are listening you better shut this off immediately (laughs) take your headphones out yeah i mean the entire game is that they're trapped in a video game and don't know it so like the elf lineage is is kind of almost irrelevant literally just a video game world and like every it's just an algorithm yeah every conflict they've gone to has essentially been like uh, an mmo event wait i love that's such a good environment (laughs) yeah they haven't caught on to it yet. Um, and every time they die, they're regaining memories of their actual life. Oh. Oh. So they have no idea what their actual lives are. Um, mm-hmm. But one of them starting to put together, Colin, who did the opening to this show, uh, he's starting to put together. And I'm like, God dang it, Colin. Of course you are. Because he created this character who's like, he's like, oh, she's a little old lady. She's a granny. She bakes goods for everyone. Like legit, this is their party's cleric is an is an eighty year old woman who bakes scones. Um, <laughs> as as she does, amazing. I love it. Um, I, she sounds like Mrs. Doubtfire, which makes me really happy. Mm-hmm. But like every time he's given a memory, it's of a young girl, 
And so back at in the real world, she's actually only a 14-year-old girl uh, struggling with coming out. And wow. playing the game with her girlfriend. And it was a way for them to see each other and spend time together. And she happened to log in the day that the incident, and I'm not going to spoil anything else, happened. And her girlfriend didn't. And so that's why she has, like, memorabilia in the house. Because, like, the whole game is that, like, the entire world went through collective amnesia. Because mm-hmm. a video game, and I can't go through why. Uh, and mm-hmm. it doesn't like, matter. She can't remember who this person is, but like, there's stuff in the house with her name on it. There's like clearly someone else that was living there. And so when the game started, like his character had no idea, and like just assumed that his her wife was dead. Oh, this is so. If y'all are taking <laughs> notes on possibilities for campaigns, oh, I mean that's yeah. kind of it. Like I, I really like running games that are out there. Mm-hmm. I think it makes them more interesting uh, because, I mean, we can all do the standard Tolkien, but for me, I want something challenging. So yeah, it's been, been a challenging game to run because at times they're really frustrated. So I have to make sure I'm thinking about my players' emotions and feelings, but also doing it in a way that I'm not giving anything away. Mm-hmm. So like the memories uh, Granny has gotten back have been things like, and I have to be so careful about how I'm describing it, uh, but <laughs> like walking down a middle school hall. And seeing her girlfriend for the first time. So I described it as a a corridor with a shiny, uh, with walls coated in shiny green and white stone. Oh, uh, stop. With a reflective, (laughs) almost wood-like substance along the floor where various cabinets that looked to be of metal lined along the walls and doors going into various rooms where people are coming and going. Oh my god. See, and to the person who knows, you're like, duh, that's a school. But <laughs> well, so I said, Colin did start to figure it out the last time because uh, his character died last week as they fought the Doolahan and it kicked their butt. Oh, of course it did. It yeah. Did. <laughs> no offense, but <laughs> uh, I got I got three insta kills with that thing. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. OP. It is OP. Well, they had collected a bunch of like uh, NPCs to fight with them. And two of the insta kills were NPCs that, like, we're talking like level twelve characters that just because, <laughs> like we said, that constitution check when you have to roll for that axe, it's your, devastating. <laughs> it's yeah. so they were like so angry at me, and I was like, I'm sorry, guys, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I gave Colin a memory of like their first uh, date because they're fourteen year old girls, like their first date, mm. and like they're on a picnic. But I had to describe fruit roll ups without describing fruit roll ups. <laughs> <laughs> did did you give it away? Were you like, oh, this is a tell? <laughs> I did such a good job. And then Colin thought for a minute and then immediately said, did I eat a fruit roll up? And you were like, I don't know. I said, I don't know. I have no idea. I can I only know. tell you what I can tell you. And then Colin said, did you just invent fruit roll ups in the D&D world? <laughs> I don't know. Don't ask me. Uh... <laughs> so Again, like my whole point, though, is that like you guys can do whatever you want to do with your worlds and have fun with it. Like I like the evolutionary world in Aethana. I think that's a really cool play for me. I had fun yeah. when we played Forgotten Realms and a lot of the hooks we're going to describe are going to be Forgotten Realm hooks or similar like classic Tolkienism hooks, um, except for the last one. But that said, we're at an hour and 10 minutes, so we're going to have to stop. And this is going to be a two-parter. Oh, see? So y'all got the lore. And two-part, you're going to get the strategies next time. Merry Christmas. Well, I hope y'all have a beautiful, wonderful, amazing December season. Uh, And yeah, we'll catch you next time. See how you can use elves in your next campaign. And there might be, without giving anything away, a little extra encounter at the very end 
that is a special elf, dare I say. 